tonight on I'm Lester Holm. But whoa, that's the whole point of Rachel. Kind of where I was coming from. So for me, I, hear me out. Okay. I'm Lester Holt. All right, we've got a new dateline tonight, 65 seconds, and not only is it a new dateline, but we are finally to the episode with the new correspondent, Blaine Alexander. And I love that uh, Lester gave her some cred at the beginning, too, like my colleague on this other news show, so don't be hating, because she does this elsewhere. Right. My NBC News colleague, Blaine Alexander, joins us tonight with 65 seconds. I've got an IMDb description for this bad boy, and guess what? It's not hella long, okay? Great. After an apparent home invasion in Minnesota leaves Heidi F- Already typo. Heidi Finkus. It's Fergus. It's Fergus. I'm DB. You slipping, okay? We might have to cut this out. I mean, as in, like, stop doing it, because it makes me mad. Leaves Heidi Fergus dead and her husband Nick hospitalized. Detectives learn that the young couple was facing financial troubles. That's a dog description. That's terrible. Yeah, that's the last one we do of that. Let's see if some dummy says something mean. Nope. Good. Great. Uh, so Kate, hit me. What'd you think of this app? What'd you think of Blaine? This is the first episode we've done where I am still undecided <gasps> on whether or not I think that the person convicted is guilty. <sighs> and I This is why you were so stoked to talk yes, about this. Because I can't wait for you to convince me one way or the other. Because I am toeing the line right now. I do not Oh and I will. I do not know yet. Really? Yeah, and I'll get into it why. But as for Blaine Alex. Alexander, I like her, and I think her VO is really good. She's matching the same kind of like yep. tone and energy as AC and Josh. Yeah, the cadence. The cadence is there. Her talking heads, she might be a little overly enthusiastic right now, but the more of these that she does, she's going to like get a little more jaded about it. And like, I think she's just super pumped to be doing it, <laughs> and she'll relax a little bit. And yeah, she's also beautiful absolutely okay i also am a big fan i liked her a lot it's funny i i see your point about maybe being overexcited or something mm -hmm. and i she will get jaded as the years go on she's gonna be talking to a lot of dummies yep but i genuinely loved her facial reactions i liked her follow-up questions i liked her energy when she was asking things it was animated in a way that i appreciated and i just thought that she was hitting all the right marks and like you said total babe yeah Stunning. I like their vibe, and I'm excited to see what else she gets this year. Yeah. Meanwhile, our story begins on a Sunday morning, April 25th, 2010. Heidi Ferkus calls 911. Someone's trying to break into my home. What city are you in? St. Paul? I'm in St. Paul. Seconds later, there was a loud noise. And then a little bit later, the husband, Nick Ferkus, calls in hysterics. I mean, he's losing his damn mind on this 911 call, talking about how his wife's been shot and she's dead and they got robbed and the guy ran away. She's not moving. Oh, please. Please. The 911 dispatcher, again, really pissed me off. <laughs> she was not comforting Nick at all, not explaining that help was coming. Instead, she was just like getting annoyed at him for being upset. And then also during Heidi's call, she's like, where do you live? What city? City are you in? And it's like, yeah, that was weird. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, shouldn't they know that? What city are you in? That was weird as hell. I got no beef with her attitude with Nick because he was really overboard with it. I mean, she was trying to tell him to calm down. And uh, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of giving my 
opinion away here. But anyway. I think you are. <laughs> now, I said that there was a little bit of time between the two calls. I say that because there was 65 seconds. That's the name of the episode. Mm -hmm. And it's a big part of the story, but not until the very end of the show. Yeah, they don't say it's 65 seconds between phone calls until way later. Until way later in the trial. Mm-hmm. So that was weird. All right, so you got a problem with the 911 op. The cops are there quick. They were there within seven minutes, and these, look, these were not dinguses today. I don't think that they were dinguses. I think they are just competent police officers. Yes, and there were a lot of them because the case kept being handed on to a different person as the last cop in charge would get promoted or leave. So it had several different detectives. It on switched this hands one. four times in 10 years. That's crazy. Yeah, in 10 years. Uh, cops show up. And they just got to brag a little about how fast they got there because they love to point out they could still smell that gunpowder. They could smell the gunpowder in the air. Wasn't that them going like, we got there so fast, man. We got there so fast. Not fast enough. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, and they were saying that Nick and Heidi's house might have been targeted for a home invasion. This is the part that I thought was weird. They said that they may have been targeted because they have a screened-in porch, which makes it easier to break into. That doesn't make sense to me. You have to go through twice as many windows and doors before you gain access to the house. How is that easier? And the house was on a busy road. I agree with that. I think maybe the thinking is the only door on the porch is a screen door so that's easy to get through and then he can like sit there and mess with the front door to try and unlock it like because he's out of sight maybe true later we hear from someone who had done several home invasions and said that yeah. you cut the screen door and then you ring the bell yep. and they open the main door because they think you're behind the screen door and then you rush inside but yeah. I don't know for me it just feels like it's still double the obstacles that whatever I'm not a burglar. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Meanwhile, Sergeant Gray was busy ramping up his search for the killer. He's our first guy on the case. When he showed up, Nick had already been rushed to the hospital, correct? Yes. Because Nick had a gunshot wound in his thigh that was pretty severe. He was already gone at that point. Boy, oh my God. Okay, it's like I want to power through this just because I want to discuss all of the reasons why I think I'm correct and why you're going to be on my side. But I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Okay. Uh, so then we go to Nick at the police station. He's getting interviewed by Detective Gray, and they're grateful because he comes in there on crutches because he got shot. Mm -hmm. Nick comes hobbling in there and tells the story. He gets woken up because someone's fiddling with the front door. So he tells Heidi, hey, we're getting robbed. So then he grabs his shotgun and directs his wife ahead of him down the stairs. This was a red flag for me. Why would she go first if he's the one holding the shotgun? He should go first. Why would she go at all? To protect her and give her cover while she runs for the back door. Yeah, or stays upstairs. Well, you got to get out of the house. Nah, the guy, he has a shotgun, okay? He could have stayed at the top of the steps because the guy supposedly rushed the door and Nick tried to shut it. So according to Nick, this guy is still outside when they're going down the stairs. I'm sorry, he could have, I mean, he had higher ground and a shotgun. Like, hey, Heidi, please stay up here away from this guy because you have to go. In order to run out of that house, you have to go by the front door no matter what. Yeah, the logistics were weird. It was definitely a red flag. I mean, just the basic conceit of bringing your wife with you if you're going to investigate a burglar and you're the one with a gun. I'm not kidding. I'm going to pull a Kate here. As soon as they said that, I was like, this guy's f***ing guilty because who would ever do that? Who would ever do that? I agree. I also felt he was guilty at this point. We get a little background on Heidi and Nick. 
Then we meet the family and the friends of both sides. No problems here other than disagreeing wholeheartedly with all of Nick's friends. Nick loves people. In 2007, they bought a house together and this was a big step for Heidi. She was super stoked because she's starting her life. But then around 2010, she says that she's worried about safety. So they're looking to move. Now this is one of the confusing parts because she said that she was looking at apartments. To raise a family in. Yes. And if we're playing this keep up with the Joneses thing, they've already got the house. Wouldn't this be a step backwards according to their rules? Yeah, it's a little right? confusing. Yeah. But anyway, so 2010, they want to move. They're looking somewhere else. And also we find out that they're having some money problems. Nick reveals, among other things, the interrogation, that he and his wife were being foreclosed on and they were going to lose the house at noon the next day. So she gets shot and killed. Literally the next day at noon, they were going to be kicked out of that house. And no one in the world knew about it except for Nick and Heidi. And Heidi's dead. And Nick's the one that told us that Heidi knew. So, I mean, this is another point where I'm calling bull. Yeah, and investigators noted that if they were going to be foreclosed on, it was weird that there weren't any signs of moving boxes or getting ready to vacate the house. Yeah. And especially because people said that Heidi would have been all over that. If she knew. If they were going to be kicked out in less than 24 hours, there'd be at least one sign of a box or like hangers or something. And they'd probably have a plan in place of where they were going to live. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, you're right. There wasn't one. At least we didn't hear of no, one. No, and Nick tells everybody, he and Heidi had decided together that they were going to tell no one about this because they wanted to beat it together and they thought they could. And they were embarrassed. Now that's half true. One of the people is really embarrassed. Nick! Uh, but the, later, the final detective makes a great point that beyond the fact that the house didn't look like they were moving, there were no texts that discussed the issue at all. Like all their texts were just her being like acknowledging money problems, but saying, okay, deal with it because... It was all in Nick's hands. Yeah. There was nothing that suggested they were planning any sort of logistics around any of it. It was just normal texting. Yeah. And uh, Nick is happy to talk to the police and he's describing the intruder. So the tall black guy with big eyes, rough skin. His family gets him a lawyer and it's their idea to get like a sketch artist. But they don't want to use the police sketch artist. They want to hire their own. I don't disagree with that though, because I didn't think about it until he said it, that if that's true that the police can be there while he's describing it, they could use those words against him to catch him in a lie or whatever. I see his point, right? Yeah, fair. But wouldn't the lawyer be there too? Yeah, that's a good question. They get a third party to do it. They draw it up. And the lady who drew it was like, Nick was very adamant. Nick said they needed to be more wide open than I had them. So Nick had like a very specific idea of what this guy looked like. Some might say a little too specific. So Nick hobbles in there to talk to Detective Gray. And Gray actually takes one of his crutches and asks him to act out what the struggle for the gun was like. And Nick says that they were pushing it back and forth. And then the guy shoved the gun against his chest and it went off accidentally and shot Heidi almost dead center in the back. Which again, it's, it ain't happening. That's what I think. Uh, A perfect shot. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. Another thing we talk about is how that table thing wasn't moved. Yes, that one of the theories of the prosecution is that that table would have been disturbed. 
There's a table in the foyer that's off to the side and everything on it looked like it was still exactly where it had been, that no struggle took place, nothing bumped the table. Do you believe that? What's your opinion of that theory? Well, later they said that there were several police officers that ran inside and also didn't disturb the table. Yes, but when we think about that, he said four, right? They rush in and they're met by a guy with a gunshot in his leg and then a dead body in the kitchen, so they didn't rush in there. The action was in the doorway. So I don't buy his premise, Yeah. right? Yeah, that makes sense. But I will say this. I'm not totally sold on this being a reason to say, F you, you're guilty. Because it's a chance they didn't bump it. Look, here's what was on the table. Beer bottle, two large water things, like a Yeti or whatever, and this receipt that was like kind of curled up. Now look, the McDonald case that I've talked about in the past, they made this argument because there were greeting cards that weren't knocked down. That I buy. Because a greeting card, you're going to knock over easy peasy. But a receipt's not falling over. And those water jugs would take a little bit to knock over. So I'm not sold on that. However, the defense attorney says that the struggle could have taken place away from the table. No, it couldn't have because we know the trajectory of the bullet. And that was directly in line with the hallway to the kitchen. Mm. So the struggle had to have happened by that f***ing table. Okay. I see what you're saying. Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So there we are. One part that I was like, Blaine, you are my girl. It's when she was describing what they did the night before. And she says that Nick said they went home. They ordered burgers, delivery, then watched the movie Avatar and ended up going to sleep after midnight. And why do I love that cake? Because I love when they give me that specific. I want to know what movie they were watching. Are you pleased that it's Avatar? Well, I mean, it tells me that it's over three hours long. So, I mean, it's good to know that for context of that she went to bed right after. Are you a fan of the Navi? I'm a big fan of James Cameron and I like Avatar. I like it just fine. Look, I'm not here to fight to the death for it by any means. Listen, I saw the second one, Way of Water, and I was annoyed that it was good. Yeah, I did like the second one a lot. I don't need to see it again, but I saw it in the theater and I thought, yeah, you know what? Like, that's a good movie. He still can make great movies. It shouldn't be good, but it's good. Yeah, and I like his theory of like, I know what, or somebody asked him like, do you think you'll ever lose touch with current people or whatever and he's like no because if i like it i know it's good which is the theory every creative should have yeah right his is dead right i mean he's he's correct i don't think he's ever made a bad movie no i can't argue with it so we both love avatar a lot and we're both navi well i didn't say love <laughs> i'm not gonna sit here and say they aren't good movies and i think i cried through the entire second one wow it was emotional. I never cry at Dateline. Yeah, I feel you. Dateline. Man. There's nothing wrong with that. You got to be hard to watch as much Dateline as we do. <laughs> you know, someone who's full of shame and guilt. So Nick and this third-party sketch artist, they put together this drawing. They give it to Gray. Gray throws it out to the media. Like, he's like, anybody knows anything, call in, let us know. They don't hear word one. No. And at this point, I'm going, yeah, because he made it up, is my personal thinking. Now, as we go along, we'll see what happens with that. But now they're kind of at an impasse, like... There's no new clues coming in. They got not, like Nick's not talking anymore. So this baby does what this shit does best. It goes cold. But what is Nick doing in the meantime? Oh, just living his life. He's falling in love with another woman three months after Heidi's death. But his friends are the ones who introduced him to her. And they wanted us to understand that this started as a friendship and that these two were both mourning the losses of relationships and they came together and found solace in each other, and then romance blossomed from there. Yeah, I don't buy one second of that, Kate. I don't buy one second of that. They set him up. I mean, it, look, I'm not here to say when you're allowed to date again. 
So I'm not, I've got no mm -hmm. issue. Like, look, if they fell in love and they were set up, so be it. Am I, I got a side eye at the fact it's three months. Yes, but I'm not, I'm not going to say you can't fall in love three months after your wife died that you killed. So he falls in love again and um, they get married. Yep. They sure do. In a backyard. Nick ain't got shoes on. That's how loosey-goosey and laid back this wedding is, Kay. It looked like a mid-2010s millennial Lumineers <laughs> ho-hey type yep. wedding. Oh. Yep. Oh, yeah. Mason jars galore. Absolutely. You're drinking out of mason jars. Mm -hmm. They're putting lights in mason jars. Everything's happening. Suspenders. Yes. Oh, the suspenders were there for sure. Now, I got to say this. Her name was Rachel Sanchez. They get married. They pop out three kids. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I like Rachel. I like Rachel too. Okay. Cool. Cool. The one thing that is strange is that she didn't seem like it was too soon after Heidi either. Like she didn't think it was? Yeah. Yeah. And look, if I'm Rachel... Like she said, she didn't think he killed his wife, so she's sympathetic to him. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't blame her for feeling that, right? Like, also, they are very young; they're in their mid twenties. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Blaine thought Heidi was real young, and Heidi just twenty. Heidi just twenty. But I mean, look, twenty and twenty-two is way too young to get married. I'll say that right now. Do you know from experience? Oh, I got married at 27. That does feel young, even though when you were getting married, it didn't feel like you were too young. So now is when it keeps getting handed off because detectives get promoted or switched or whatever. He puts out the sketch again. Like he's been putting the sketch out every once in a while, never getting any bites. He decides to throw it back out there one more time and he actually gets a call. This caller says she knows who the man in the drawing is, that it's this guy. Michael Pye, he has a record, he's done a lot of home invasions in the past, and he looks exactly like the drawing. He looks a hell of a lot like the drawing. Because when you look at this drawing, those eyes are drawn pretty big, but then you see old Michael Pye, and it's like, yeah, that's him. And he even agrees. He says, that's me. <laughs> he says that when they came to the prison and showed him this drawing, yeah, because he was already in prison. But there's no denying that that was your face. No, nah, no, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Them eyes, them eyes, just look, and that's crazy. Okay, well maybe you didn't know that someone was killed because you were struggling with this gun and it went off a couple times, and then you took off, so you didn't know. Yeah, but as he says, he never did anything with a gun. A gun was not part of his M.O. Mm -hmm. This is a great example of why Dateline's so good at what they do and why we love it. Because they spend a few minutes really making it clear that, hey, Michael Pye looks like this sketch. He has been arrested for robbery. He likes to push in the door. They're lining it up where we're going, oh my, like I'm sitting there watching this episode going, oh my God, is Nick innocent? Like, was he right? Mm -hmm. And that this is where it gets good. Because, and this is why I feel like Blaine is going to be right at home, is when she says, or did they have him? Did they have him? And then the tease, actually a shot of Michael Pye, Blaine interviewing the guy. I mean, that was an audible gas for me. I love when Dateline does that, where they're like, this is the guy, this is the guy, here's all these pictures of him in mug shots. And then all of a sudden, there he is in a talking head. Here he is. Oh, that's good. Have you ever killed anybody? 
detectives thought they had their man and they were all excited and then they realized it could not have been Michael Pye because he was locked up on the night of the murder yep. and they triple checked. Yep. They checked records. They called the prison. They needed to make sh- absolute certain that he was not <laughs> able to physically do this crime. We actually wanted to double check with the jail records. I just couldn't believe he was really locked up at that time. This is the the best alibi ever. I was in prison. Pretty undefeatable. Uh, and Blaine was like, if you weren't in prison, what do you think would have happened to you? And he's like, oh, I'd be in for life. Yeah, and he goes, people be like, oh, you know Mike did that. I, I, I like this attitude. I'd have been locked up and everybody would be talking about, you know Mike did that. So Michael Pye was in prison at the time. He couldn't commit this offense. And now this is a point where at one point was a brilliant idea for someone who's setting up a murder has now become a dumb as fuck idea, okay? Because this is when it becomes clear to me that Nick Ferkus somehow knew about Michael Pye and gave them descriptions of this mugshot that he remembered that was probably burned in his brain because of those eyes. And he probably said the burglary was this push-in shit because that was Michael Pye's M.O. Yeah. So we, we go from what seems like an unsaleable thing. I mean, look, he described a guy and that's him and he robs people. It's got to be him. And then instantly it's like, oh, he was in jail. Oh, so now is finally when the detectives go, okay, maybe Nick did this. Can you picture Nick sitting with the sketch artist and then like glancing down at his phone? <laughs> Every once in a while, because he pulled up Michael's <laughs> mugshot. Because we see that yeah. there was press about Michael around that time. Oh, yeah. And his mugshot was online for anyone to see. Yeah, yeah, it was on the news. Nick saw those stories and Pi's mugshots and hatched a plan to frame Pi. And Blaine asks Michael, like, are you mad at him? And he says no, because he's found God and stuff, and I'm happy for him. But also, he didn't have to do any time. Like, luckily, this lie was busted before it resulted in jail time because I'm with... Absolutely. I'm with the guy. I mean, he would have, no doubt, this would have been pinned on him in a heartbeat. Yeah, and he probably wouldn't have had an alibi otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. God, and it's so sad. I mean, I guess this is the root of most crime. But when he's like, I lost my apartment and it was cold outside and he's in his early 50s and he's like, I had to go back to my old ways to survive. It's like, that's pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, I think that is the case for a lot of people. You do what you got to do to survive. Yep. And it's tough up there in St. Paul, yeah. Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Those, those are some cold winters. Yeah, that's true. Isn't that where the Mall of America is? I don't remember them saying that. She went shopping with her friends the day before she came home and they got burgers delivery and then watched Avatar. Have you been to the Mall of America? No. As a kid, though, you know, I wanted to go there so bad. It was So bad. Mall of America was up there with like Six Flags and Cedar Point. Well, because they had rides inside. Yeah, exactly. So this is in 2015 when this turn happens. They find Michael Pye, and now all attention is on Nick because he's obviously set this up. And I love, like, the detectives. I mean, they're not going to let this go because now this guy sent him on a wild goose chase for five years. Mm-hmm. The entirety of their investigation was based on that sketch. We were chasing a ghost that didn't exist. But they get a break because Nick's second marriage has fallen apart. Oh, I'm shocked! And... <laughs> His now ex-wife is willing to talk. She wants to spill the beans. Yeah, she does. And the fourth detective, Sipes, she's the one who closed this She said, I wanted to talk to her more than I wanted to breathe air. Oh, I want to talk to Rachel. Immediately. I want to do that more than breathe. Yes. (laughs) Talk to her. Hear what she had to say. It was a great analogy because I get it. Because it's like, you know this lady's going to talk now. Like, this happens a bunch 
I feel, where they hear about the divorce a decade later, and then they're like, do-do-do, things are going to be different now. This ex is going to sing. And that's what she did. Yep. And she sang beautifully. Okay, not only did she have plenty of stuff to say, but she had friggin' recordings. Yes. She will tell you that herself. She is a truth teller. So Nick was up to his same old shenanigans in this relationship too. He had money problems again and kept it from his wife. Yeah. And she was saying that yep. debt collectors would start calling and he would make excuses and she'd be like, okay, whatever, just handle it. And then she found yeah. a notice that they hadn't paid their property taxes in several years and that their house was going to be foreclosed on. Just like the house... He had with Heidi. Yes, exactly. And then Rachel says she wasn't privy to any of it because she didn't handle the finances. And here's what really blew me away. Yep. She said she's never had a credit card before. And she just pays for everything in cash. Yeah. Now, this is her second marriage, too. This is her second marriage, and she has three children, and she's never had a credit card? Yeah. What the the hell yeah that's pretty shocking i didn't have a credit card till i got divorced so i i lasted till i was 31 really yeah and now i'm i got buried in debt in six months i mean it was i'm now i'm where i'm supposed to be in hell yeah how are you able to do anything without established credit well i paid rent and i don't know i mean well look i went from living with dylan to living with laura and both those people have their lives together a little bit more okay yeah i mean dylan's credit's got to be so dubbed I mean, my credit's fantastic. Hell yeah. It's so high that when I got a loan from Toyota, I was sitting with the finance guy at the dealer and he gasped. <laughs> we got to say this about Rachel. And this is why Rachel's the all-star of the app, hands down. Okay. Michael Pye, honorary mention for being a cool dude. He doesn't get all-star status. I'm giving that to Rachel. Because while she did find a paper in the drawer, what raised her flags were little lies. Like he would say he ate at home, but then there's a fast food bag in the car and she's out there taking pics. <laughs> we see a picture of the fast food bag in the car. Yeah, it's the it's the little white lies that are really concerning because if you're going to lie when the stakes are that low, what are you going to lie about when they're not? Exactly. And that's what she was thinking when she kept digging. And then she finds that piece of paper that says they're going to get foreclosed on. And this, this is where the all-star status was cemented. What was her very next move when she found that piece of paper, Kate? She took her kids and left him that moment. That's pretty all-star, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Because it's totally understandable. You know, there's countless cases where somebody stays with somebody or they're afraid to go. She was like, oh, no, no, no. This is the beginning of something I'm not going to be a part you of. You did this the first time. Yeah. We're not doing this again. I'm out. Rachel's telling this story to Sipes, and he, she has not mentioned the recordings yet. She has not mentioned those yet. Those come on the second trip. But Sipes has just eaten all this up. And she she can't believe it because, like she says, it, the guy has a pattern now. Yeah. Like, he's, he's getting ready to do it all over again. I probably had almost as big of an epiphany as she did. Right when she finds it, I'm like, he did this a second time? I do think that Rachel, knowing what had happened in his first marriage with their finances, I do think it's weird that she wasn't more involved. I would be looking over his shoulder, just making sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, but the only thing she knew was that he said, I used to have finance troubles, but now I don't, right? I mean, she didn't know that Heidi's family didn't know until later, I hmm. think, right? Yeah, maybe. I just think a lot of these things are reason enough to not get married. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You got to have these tough conversations. Not that I'm an expert on marriage. Him just saying, I used to have problems, now I don't. That's not enough of an explanation. Yeah, I, I, I thought that. 
But now, she was starting to wonder. She gets the All-Star title, and I love that she recorded this stuff, and I love that she gave these recordings to Sipes. But the first one, look, I've been recorded without my knowledge for a fight like this about arguing in the car about traffic. It's not fun to be secretly recorded because the person that's doing the recording knows it. And I feel like you could hear it in her voice when she was like, when did you tell me that? I've never heard that in my life. Why didn't you tell me that? I've never heard that once in my life. Right? Like, I could feel her performing for the recording. But I don't feel bad for Nick because he's a murderer. But I'm just saying I've been there. <laughs> Why were you recorded? Because, I, like, uh, driving in traffic. God, it was when we went to a Dodger game. And... So Sipes gets this info from Rachel and also gets the tapes. Although, I mean, or the recordings. But I knew she wasn't going to be able to use those in court. I mean, they were recorded without his knowledge. I mean, that's like 101. Mm -hmm. Were you surprised when the judge said no to that? That was silly to me. No, not at all. And I honestly don't know that the recordings even provided anything. It, it provided context and insight into their relationship and how shady Nick is. But I don't know that we heard anything that would have pointed at his guilt. Yeah, I mean... It did in the sense that, like, Sipes says he didn't, he never said I didn't kill her. Like, he was just repeating what she said. Like, he was doing classic liar things where he's not answering the question and just repeating the question and acting incredulous. But he's not admitting to anything either. That I could murder my wife. That I could murder my wife. Then silence. Makes me think. That I could murder my wife. That you could lie about something. That I could murder my wife. Yes. He never said I didn't do it. I mean, that's weird. Yeah. He's in a private conversation with his wife, and she's asking tell me you didn't kill your old wife. And he couldn't do it, right? He said that the past was fuzzy, fuzzy, fuzzy. Oh, I was so mad when he said that. He said, oh, that was a real fuzzy time for me. And she goes, no, it wasn't, because you talked in details about it forever, and now you don't, so you're lying. And again, I'm going, Rachel. Yes. However, earlier in the episode, Rachel said that when they were starting to date in the very beginning and getting to know each other, that they didn't talk about it. That's true, because he said his lawyer wouldn't let him. I think she's referring to probably like the interrogation. She probably saw that footage, right? Because, mm. uh, I mean, at this point, she's doing all the digging in the world. Maybe so. I mean, maybe that's when she found it or something. And, God, she was so pro-Nick at one point where she's telling people don't even click on the link because it, it'll, like, raise this SEO value or whatever. Like, she was in the thick. Yeah. Right? The more clicks it gets, then the more they'll want to put headlines about him in the local news. And the friends were all like, yeah, they were on board. Okay, and now this is where I really lay it down about these friends. The lady with the shaved head, I loved her look, okay? The look was cool. I was into the look. But the words that she was saying is such bullshit. She goes, in order for you to believe that Nick killed his wife, you would have to believe that a good man could kill the woman he loved for no reason at all. <laughs> That's not a reason. That's not a reason. You can't, you cannot act like, hello, he's innocent. He's a good guy. Ah, it's not good enough, friend. Not good enough. In order to believe that Nick did this, you have to believe that a good man with no history of violence killed the woman who he loved more than anything for no reason at all. Do you remember one of them said that Nick was a good dad because he would look his children in the eye? Ah! He looked his children in the eye. He's a good father. Kate. Uh, what? Kate, I'm so, so glad that you brought that up, that you remembered that, because no shit. Driving home from work today, I'm talking to mom money, and I had to tell her that. I go, mom, you're going to eat this up. Check this out. We're supposed to think this makes this guy a good dad because he looks his kids in the eyes. That was the first thing that friend presented. Was Nick a good father? Yes. So good. He looks them in the eye, spends time with them. Oh, dad of the year over here. Wow. 
Oh. Wow. He couldn't possibly be a psychopath because he makes eye contact with his children. No! I died laughing at that because it's just, you know, it's like when you see it about dads saying they're babysitting and it's like, no, you're just being a dad. You're parenting. You're parenting. You're not babysitting. This is like that to the max, I feel. It's like, no, he's a good dad. He looks at his kids. He looks at them. Wow. <laughs> I bet they love him. He found so much delight in watching them catch a fish. So we start learning more details about the crime scene as they're getting ready to go to trial. Yes, because Sipes involves the FBI. Sipes says, I need some help. So she gives the FBI a call and they do two things. They make a little diagram of the entryway so we can see the exact, it's a scale model. So we know exactly the distance between the door and the kitchen and the table and the stairs and everything. I love that. I love, because that's like some old school stuff. I mean, I'm, there are no doubt those figurines were 3D printed, but I just liked... That there was... They did look 3D printed. I mean, you know, there's no doubt, right? I mean, they were... Yeah, I mean, you're not going to put, like, Barbies and G.I. Joes in there. No, and I, but they even had it printed. I feel like that was a fake to make it look like it was carved out of wood. Did you see it had, like, little ridges and stuff? Oh. They bust this thing out at trial, and when we see a scale model, I mean, it's... It's decent sized. Mm -hmm. Like they're probably three or four foot tall, the models. Were they that big? Maybe three feet. They're just, they're, they're a good size. But they had it to show how small the space was in the foyer to give the jury an example of like, why wouldn't this stuff get knocked down? Or like, here's exactly what happened and where she was shot and the angle of this and that. So that's the first thing they did. And then the second thing they did was they cleaned up the audio of the 911 call, which I'm going to go ahead and put it out right here. I'm going to play the original 911 part of it. Seconds later. There was a loud noise. And then play the fixed FBI part. Because I don't know what they did to clean it up that much. It sounds a little cleaner, but I could still hear the same thing, which is one person being shot and nothing else happening. I want to hear the entire 911 call. Does it end right after she shot? Yeah. Because they were saying that there's silence after and you can't hear what should have been a struggle between Nick and the intruder. There's no Heidi run. There's no, no, get out of my house. There's nothing to precipitate that shotgun blast. If the phone hung up, you wouldn't hear anything. Yeah, I did wonder, because the gunshot happened and then she screamed. So, like, did she see the shooter? Wait, also, it wasn't, it was her cell phone, too. It was not a landline. So, like, right. it's not like it hung up when she dropped it. So, when did it hang up? Who ended the call? I mean, I would say Nick did, because he didn't know that his wife had called the police. So, then, theoretically, during that 911 call, we should be able to hear Nick walking over and picking up the phone, right? Uh, well, no, because they do say that it goes, it cuts, because that's the difference between the 65 seconds. I, they did not say how the call ended, but they said it ended. So, I mean, I don't know what to, maybe we would hear him come over and pick up the phone. I hear you there. But I'll tell you what we would hear way before that is the struggle, right? Like, while Heidi's on the phone, we should hear, like Sipe says, Heidi, run. No, get away from me. Give me the gun. F*** you. Sure, sure. There wasn't one sound and then 65 seconds nick makes his 911 call and the prosecution says that that's plenty of time for him to shoot heidi and then himself and they even time it yeah the, the prosecutor walks through the courtroom and <laughs> does her version of the events that took place and it's 65 seconds is a perfectly adequate window for all that stuff to happen oh yeah i put the gun down walk down to where heidi would have been on the ground Brace against the door, hold the shotgun, and fire that shot into the left thigh. They also said, 
look, maybe we got to give a little credit to these cell phone forensics because they said they could tell that he opened up her recently called. You think that's true? Yes. So this is, this was weird because at first the prosecutor said there was evidence that Nick looked at previously dialed numbers on her phone. He shot her while she was still on the line, then picked up her phone and scrolled through it to see who she'd been talking to. And I was like, well, how would there be evidence of that? There's no evidence to prove that you look at a phone. But then later we learn that he, I guess, was frantically trying to call 911 and had accidentally called some of her recent calls. And that was what they were saying, that that was the evidence that he had scrolled through the phone. Yeah, that's what he said. But if that was true, I want to know what numbers he called and did they hang up and did that friend get that phone call and how many times did it ring? Because I'm not really buying that. Yeah, it's weird. So imagine she's on the phone with 911. It's on like the phone thing. He, if let's assume the call ended. He at least has to go to the recently called part. Mm -hmm. They were acting like they had proof that he pressed that button on the screen and scrolled. Right. If that's true, then I feel like we got to get a little, we got to give just a touch of cred to these cell phone forensics. What do you think? What, like a heat map of where someone's fingers were? Well, no, I mean, I does the phone remember everything, like keystrokes? Not unless there's some kind of program on it at the time recording the keystrokes. The evidence does show that he looked at the previously dialed numbers on her phone. This is what confused me. I feel like they didn't need to include that. Yeah. Evidence that he looked at a phone. I was like, what? No. That's not, they worded it weird. Whatever they meant, they worded it weird. They did. If it's true that Nick didn't know that Heidi was on the phone, he would absolutely be looking at the calls to see who she was talking to. Yes. He did call 911 with her phone. Uh, I think so. Also, I think so. Something else that they never touched on the blood splatter on the back of the door which meant that the door was closed when Nick was shot. And they don't really talk about that. If the door was closed, then there was way more room in there for a struggle. They had moved out into the main area, but it also means it's more likely that there was never an intruder and he just shot himself with the door closed. Yeah, while he was pinned against the wall for support. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. I honestly think that if I were on a jury, that blood splatter on the door would have been a big thing for me in helping me decide. And they didn't even bring it up. That's true. They didn't talk about the blood splatter at all. It was blood splatter though, correct? It wasn't mud or something? No, it had to have been. Because if it wasn't, I feel like they would have said that it wasn't. But an intruder comes in and they struggle right there. The door's open. So there was no intruder because the door never opened. So I uh, try to shut the door shut, but it gets forced open. What did this guy look like? He was a black guy. This thing goes to trial, and they're not allowed to bring Rachel to the stand. I mean, forget the recordings. She's not allowed to go to the trial. Like, she can't be a witness. That seems harsh to me. And also harsh is the fact that Michael Pye is not allowed to be involved either. The guy who is the sketch. That feels wrong to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because it shows that Nick was lying, and the jury may not have known that. Yeah. But they still... They didn't need to hear it, I guess. They still found him guilty. That's why I'm kind of shocked, because without those two things, I could see reasonable reasonable doubt creeping in. So the weirdo friends, when they're like, we thought he'd be exonerated straight away, I mean, I guess I could see where they're coming from. Well, that's kind of where I was coming from. So for me, hear me out. Okay. The motive 
to me, still makes no sense. He was embarrassed about foreclosure, so he killed his wife. Yeah, he didn't want, he didn't want to tell her about it. But he went into foreclosure a second time with his next wife, and it didn't end in murder. It just ended in divorce. And Okay, but whoa, that's because she caught it. Because she caught it before it could turn to murder. That's the whole point of Rachel. But killing Heidi wouldn't have kept the foreclosure a secret. Like, people were still going to find out when they no longer had a house to live in. You're right, but... And his stuff was out on the curb. I just don't get the motive and okay but there wait. was no insurance there was nothing that he would stand to benefit from but you're forgetting that even though the house was foreclosed on when that happened he was a grieving husband because his wife had just been shot so it, it's like he presented a bigger story like i to me it makes total sense he didn't want to have to admit this to his wife they obviously had arguments about this He's supposed to be the guy in charge. He's telling her what he wants her to know. And he's trying to bury stuff. He was never going to fix it. And I think absolutely he would kill her out of embarrassment. Absolutely. Think about how big of a deal it was that they owned a house and they're starting a family and all this. And we know it's true because he was just as embarrassed 10 years later. And notice he didn't tell that wife. This time he kept it to himself, right? Which makes me think that he didn't f***ing tell Heidi about it either. Oh no, he definitely he didn't. He kept it because he was just as embarrassed then. He is a liar and he is shockingly bad with money. But for me, this case is a weird one because normally I would have absolutely no problem whatsoever thinking a church-going guy with a neck beard who doesn't let his wives handle money is a murderer. And adult braces. But I watched this and I was still like... I don't know. I think now, having talked about it with you, I do agree that he did it. Sweet. I love it. But this was fun for me because I really didn't know yeah. what to think. Yeah, I mean, when the episode started, I was already against this guy because he had braces as an adult. Look, my mom had braces as an adult. I'm sure there are great reasons to do it. There's just something in me that I was judgmental of this guy and his goatee and pictures of him smiling with those braces. I was like, I'm already suspicious. And then when it got to the point where we're supposed to believe that he led his wife down the stairs towards trouble. That was really bad. I mean, that- Here, honey, you go first. I mean, I, I can't get past that. And he's the one with a gun. Exactly. So how can you shoot if his wife's in front of him? Loaded it with two shells. And then he escorted Heidi down the stairs as she's trying to call 911 on her cell phone. So Heidi was going first down the stairs. Like, there were so many levels of that not making sense where I just want to, like, shake Nick and go, this doesn't work. You can't say this is what happened anymore. Yeah. You can't, right? No, he's guilty. Okay, sweet. I'm glad I'm glad that you came around, okay? I'm excited that you were on the fence, though. I like not being convinced because it's more fun for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got one more thing of why I think it's bullshit. His lawyer, his lawyer, almost every reason for why Nick didn't do it I was rolling my eyes at because his lawyer said, hey, if collections was calling all the time, then it'd be impossible for Heidi to miss it. Hey, guess what? You f Uh, I don't know about you. I've never had a landline and I've had a cell phone since 2003. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. those collection calls were going to Nick's phone. Yeah. She's not getting them. I wonder though. She's not getting them. So my roommate, my husband, he, 15 years ago, when he was just out of college and mm. his student loans were in collections and he stopped answering his phone, they called him at work. They called his HR. Whoa. And like HR got him over the loudspeaker to come to the office and pick up this landline and wow. it was collections. Hey, you know what? That's pretty heavy duty. I mean, if that, if that goes down, then I might stand corrected. 
That's that's insane. Because they could have been reaching out to all known associates trying to track him down. Yeah. But I don't know. It's never happened to me because my credit's perfect. <laughs> You're a smart mother. That's right. I don't know. I I really felt a bond with Rachel when she was like, anybody who's been in collections knows that if you want to get a hold of them, you can get a hold of them. Because <laughs> they will get a hold of you every single day until you pay. All right. So, yeah, I mean, even though there are those limitations, Rachel couldn't be there. Michael Pye is not invited. Boom. Still guilty. He tries to appeal it and he didn't want to talk to Dateline. Shocking. But I love that that guy got arrested and he sucks. And I think it's list time. You got a list, Kate? None of the things on my list were in this one. So I don't have a list. What's the name of your list, though? I forget. What was it called? Kate's Unnamed List. There we go. There we go. Kate's Unnamed List. I got nothing. I got nothing. Nothing. All right. That's okay. On to Kurt's Kick-Ass List. Kick-Ass Kick-Ass List. Kick-Ass List. <laughs> I only have a kind of... She said sounds of a struggle. That's pretty damn close to signs of a struggle. There was no sound of a struggle in Heidi's 911 call. I include that, man. Okay. All right. That works. Boom. Then I've got one. I've got one that hit. Because, yeah, a sign of a struggle would have been that table over. Bosha. Signs of a struggle. I'm Kurt Money. I'm Kate Line. I'm Lester Holt. For all of us. I'm Lester Holt. Good night. You know my dear dad.